Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. fans, welcome to the Bear Style Podcast on a Monday. Happy Monday, happy Martin Luther King, everybody. We're going to talk today, of course, about USC Georgia football, because that's what we always talk about here on the Bear Style Podcast. We have Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. And if you want to find out what Harvey Hyde's doing, what his thoughts on the USC Trojan program are, see some of his old shows, you can find all that on his website. If you have any questions or comments for us here on the show, the email address is podcast at uscfootball.com. And the number, if you want to call and leave a voicemail or send us a text, 424-254-9141. And, of course, if you have an Apple podcasting app on any of your devices, we really would appreciate subscribing to the Parastyle Podcast, leaving a five-star rating, any kind of review, positive, negative, whatever you want to say, but just leave us those five stars. That's what's important. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or if you have any questions, we'd love to talk about those on the show, but that does really help grow us here at the Parastyle Podcast, and we've been doing this for a long time, and we appreciate any kind of feedback you have there and a way to just you know put a review in there and, and help us propagate the show out to the masses, and Coach Hyde loves talking to the masses, so we bring him on every week. Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, gosh, I've, good, I've learned to play in front of an empty stadium, okay? but if you say we got a full stadium and i talk to the masses that's great uh no matter who you are up there buckle up right along with us here with our podcast every now we're doing it every monday now with the football season change and we got a little bit extra time but ryan we got a lot of questions there's always something happening so why don't we get started let's get started coach and uh so the the big news is that USC did hire a strength and conditioning coach. He's actually the director of football sports performance, so it sounds a little cooler, uh, Robert Steiner. So he came over. He was actually with Luke Fickle at Cincinnati uh, in 2017. Uh, been the last three seasons uh, at Notre Dame. So it was, uh, I think it's Matt Bayless is how you pronounce his name. Um, was running the strength and conditioning coach uh, program there. They're working with uh, Jacob Flint and also uh, Robert Steiner. The you know the word that I got from people that cover Notre Dame certainly uh, high marks uh, for Robert Steiner. If you see some of his former players tweeting about it, uh, big fans of his. And uh, USC went out and hired another uh, assistant coach from a rival, uh, like you know Dante Williams from Oregon last year, and then Robert Steiner. Uh, from Notre Dame. So we saw the last couple of years with with Aaron Osmus. It'll be interesting to see what direction uh, the strength and conditioning program goes uh, under Robert Steiner. But I wanted to get your initial thoughts on uh, this hire, Coach. Well, obviously, excuse me, obviously I see it's a different title, which means it's not just the strength and conditioning coach for the football program. So that's a Mike Bowen to hire. Uh, because uh, it uh, he's heading up the entire program, which means probably his, his main job is football, but he's doing all the sports at the same time, and that's what they all do, but he did, it's not the same title, okay? 
So uh, I think that's, you know, you go any way you want, but I think that's a Mike Bone hire. I think probably I would assume that Coach Clay Helton called Brian Kelly and talked to him about him, and they did a little background check on him and so on. At least I hope they did. Uh, normally, I don't like to see people with a Notre uh, not a not a Notre Dame with a USC tradition hire assistant strength coaches. I'd like to see them hire the strength coach, the real strength coach from Notre Dame, if they could, or Ohio State if they could, or Alabama if they could, or somewhere like that. But that they uh, right now haven't been able to do that. But uh, I've heard a lot of good things out of the strength and conditioning program at Notre Dame. One of my segments I do on one of my shows feature a gentleman that played at Notre Dame, and he's thought a lot of the strength and conditioning program at Notre Dame. They certainly have uh, developed physical type of football players on the offensive line and so on. So I think that has something to do with it. He's young. He should be enthusiastic. He should be able to communicate, I hope, with the players, and I hope it's a place the players look forward to going to because he spends a lot of time with the athletes at USC and the conditioning program year-round. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I hope that he has the same type of philosophy that fits Clay Helton's philosophy as far as what he's looking for in a strength and conditioning coach as far as for his football athletes. And if that all fits it, then again, they've hired another coach. They can't hire many more positions. They brought a new front office people. They brought in the defensive staff. They brought in a lot of offensive coaches. Now another strength and conditioning coach. And if I remember correctly, a, a year ago, March or that time, everybody was praising the past strength and conditioning coach. He was having tug of wars and uh, steak fries and fighting himself <laughs> or people were going to fight themselves out of a phone booth. And you heard what you remember what I said about all that. I couldn't care who went to tug of war. I want a guy that can block somebody on the line of scrimmage and want to play and be agile, hostile, and all the rest of it. So, you know, I hope it works. Uh, I assume they've done their homework because that's where it's won and lost in the offensive line and uh, defensive line. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Yeah, it's uh... – I mean, don't know a ton about him yet, just from the people we've talked to. And it's, but the good thing is, everything we've heard is positive. I had the same sort of reaction, coached for you, where I'd rather see USC go hire the head strength coach from like Iowa State as opposed to an assistant at Oklahoma or assistant at Notre Dame or, you know, more of a peer program assistant versus, uh, the you know the head guy somewhere else that may be a little bit lower down the food chain or something like that um, as far as programs go. So that was an interesting one for me. But the like I said, the people I talked to have all been positive. That you know I think uh, the the people that end up doing the hire at USC really feel like he is a stud. So it's sort of like you kind of have to put your faith in in their evaluation process and say. They could have gotten hired a head strength coach from somewhere, but they really like this younger up and coming guy. They feel it works with what they're going to do. And, um, you know, they feel like they got their man. So I, but I had the same kind of thoughts of you coach about going, getting a head coach from a head strength coach from somewhere, as opposed to an assistant. Well, that's what I did when I was at UNLV. Now, when I'm at UNLV as a head football coach, I'm not at USC. So what I did is try to determine the top strength and conditioning program in the country. And at that time, it was Boyd Epley 
at the University of Nebraska. I mean, they were bringing in people that have been around for a long time. Remember their offensive, defensive lines, just absolutely tremendous, tremendous football, physical people. When Tom Osborne, Bourne, and Bob Devaney and all these coaches coached back there, these Boyd Epley wrote all the books on strength and conditioning and all of that. So I couldn't get him. So I called him and I said, who's the number one guy that you would recommend that could bring your program to us at UNLV? And it would be almost the same as far as getting you. And he gave me a name of a gentleman called Tim Wilson, who was the first graduate of the University of Nebraska with the major in strength and conditioning. So he came in and became our strength and conditioning coach there. So we implemented uh, the Nebraska Strength and Conditioning Program. Now at USC, I agree with you, I'd have gone after Boyd Epley. Not that he would have come, but those are the type of people I want. If you have the same tradition and the same image of what USC football is or USC athletics is. But, uh, you know, they obviously are doing what they have to do, and Mike Bone is the one that made that call. I'm certain of that with the approval of Clay Helton, but who's Clay Helton to Nick's Mike Bones uh, hiring? And uh, the title changed a little bit different, uh, but uh, that's where it's going to go. Yeah, the, uh, the as far as – that's an interesting story, going out and getting uh, the best guy under D- Dwight Upley, like basically identifying these people do it the best. We want to get someone that's uh, from that school, I guess, right? that same school of thought. Um, for the, I, I, we got a couple questions on Tunnel Vision last night, uh, Coach. We did uh, our live show on YouTube and Facebook and Periscope, and some people were just kind of poo-pooing the importance of a strength and conditioning coach. As a former head coach, maybe you explain how important that role is, just because of the time that they get to spend with players, more time than than you and your staff would get to spend with players. But like, why why would be the why are the strength and conditioning coaches so important for a college football program? Well, when you get a player, you you bring, you bring him in, and you really he's a baby, you know. He's a he's a kid, a young kid, first time away from home. Uh, sometimes they get homesick, sometimes they don't. And uh, this guy spends a lot of time with them, so he knows what's bothering them or their morale and everything else, or if they're working hard or they feel like they're not getting it done in academics or they're not comfortable. So you know, he can bring me that type of information as far as the that he won't maybe tell his position coach or maybe not tell me or so on. So it's important that he has a great relationship with your players. It's so important. And then again, I used to always, as a head football coach, I would go to the strength and conditioning room at least once or twice or sometimes three times a week and spend time in there walking around and talking to players and even working out myself with my own little routine because if it's important for that to work out, then it's important for me to show them how important I think it is because I'm in there. And I think that I should spend my precious time as a head football coach with them in something I'm expecting them to do at 100%. So it's really important this time of season and the type of strength and conditioning coach you get uh, to bring your program to the level of where you maximize the potential of the players that you have recruited. When they come there, they're young. They're just learning how to shave. 
Yes, they've been playing for a long time, but have they ever been in this type of structured type of atmosphere? So it's very important that they are comfortable as far as being in this atmosphere. And you want to also make sure why I used to go in there that there wasn't any type of lifts or things going on in there that I thought would injure any of my players. Like, I didn't want to see my receivers or my strength coaches or my uh, running backs or, or defensive backs doing a lot of heavy lifting. I didn't want them to injure themselves. In fact, uh, people will probably think this is a stupid thing, but at, when I was at UNLV, the ballet teacher came to me and said, Coach, I think it would really help the if your receivers and defensive backs had great balance and we'll put them in my ballet class and they can learn to balance and do different things. So <laughs> I enrolled them, but it was one unit course where they could get an A. And after a while, when they went in there and they saw the uh, other uh, students in there, in their outfits, they all wanted to take the class. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was... It was, uh, you know, you try different things, you know, eye-hand coordination for maybe receivers. In fact, I've told you this before on the shows, uh, I think I have on this show, that I had every individual player come and we had all their eyes checked. Yeah, you always have their, uh, their uh, you know, heart checked and all of that as far as physicals. But how many times have some of these kids ever had their eyes checked? to know what their seeing level is and so on. And if they need glasses or maybe they drop balls because they can't see the ball until it's there at the last moment. So there's so many little things that you have to look at in making a complete player or helping that individual achieve what he or she wants to achieve. And there's so many little things like that that makes a difference. So that's why it's so important in the hiring of every individual in your department, no matter what their capacity is. Yeah. Um, I, I like that coach where was it major league where uh, Vaughn like couldn't see and they give him glasses and then he's throw he's pitching a lot better. I'm sure there's a lot of kids that come in and didn't even realize like their vision was bad. And um, was that something common though? You'd find out like, man, this guy can't see. And then it would help him a lot. Yeah. It started by accident. It started by accident. I, I was talking to a kid about, uh, dropping passes, and, and he says, Coach, I, I dropped it, but I didn't see it till the last second. I, I couldn't see it, and I was saying, what do you mean you couldn't see it? Well, he's been playing all these years by anticipating where the ball's going to be, and he'd see it in the last, you know, second or couple seconds on deep passes especially or short passes. So we started checking all of our skilled players and all of our players on that, and we found that a lot of kids – had never had their eye checks or the checkup. So we found a lot of ways of helping them as far as uh, visually and being able to uh, become a better football player and better in your classroom as far as reading and so on. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about the ballet? I think, I think Lynn Swan, it might have been Swan and Stallworth from the Steeler teams that were taking that and they kind of made that famous a little bit back then in the 70s. But did you find that that helped besides the the – the students, you know, that your, your players liking being in those classes, but did it help them like their balance and stuff? I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I really don't, I really don't know. But, uh, at first they they were embarrassed. They thought I was nuts. Okay. 
They thought, not, no, we're not doing it. They're embarrassed because really they don't have the balance that these other students have. But they learned to have better balance and do different movements and be more, uh, what do you mean, uh, balance-wise? I don't know what you call all that stuff. But, uh, you know, we, we tried it, and I don't know if we continued it or not, but we did it a semester or two. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it is, but just for the fans, it is a very important part of the program, the amount of time that gets to be spent with uh, those players, uh, just the importance of it and addressing injuries. And, and, and I didn't even think about what you said, Coach, where – they have such a good relationship with the players. If there is a kid that's homesick or is having trouble with his girlfriend or whatever it is, and it's going to, you know, potentially impact his performance on the field, maybe his uh, performance in the classroom. And that's something that could be brought to your attention. It's something you as a head coach could address. So um, I, you don't want, they don't want to come off as like stool pigeons probably, but it's just something that they're going to, they have their boots on the ground, their ears to the, what's going on with these players a little bit more than what you guys are allowed to do. You're exactly right. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wouldn't necessarily, we wouldn't call it squealing. He would come in my office. He'd say, coach, you ought to call in so-and-so. <clears throat> he's, he's really thinking about leaving and going home. He's got his girlfriend and, and this and that. He's really misses her. And he doesn't like or Another one, another kid is, doesn't want to go to his English class because he really isn't good at English and he's afraid he's going to get called on or and get embarrassed and so on. So, you know, we'd have our little talks with him and counseling and so on and say, the next time you go there, go to class early, talk to the teacher or help her carry a briefcase or books to class, and you create a relationship with that teacher, and that teacher will never embarrass you. Never embarrass you because she respects you for who you are. And there's little ways of assisting those student-athletes as far as helping them get through academic courses by not making it all academic, but being a gentleman and treating someone like gentlemen. Or ask her how she is or how is her weekend. Create a relationship with your instructor. And uh, that's what you have to do is be outgoing when you graduate from college. So I've been a lot of I've been a lot of uh, in uncomfortable positions where I say, well, what am I going to talk to these people about? But you've got to be able to go in and discuss certain things, and eventually you'll find a topic they want to hear. And uh, one last thing on that, Coach, with you, know, you're talking about players that are unhappy, especially now with the transfer portal as being a big part of it. I am sure that things have gone on where you know you hear a player that. Maybe the, the scuttlebutt in the weight room is he's unhappy and he might be leaving. And, and then that does get back to the head coach. And it's something that the staff can address. And it might be because they found out about this from you know strength staff or whatever, or they, what they were, they were working out. And just the player doesn't seem happy anymore. And they might want to enter the portal. And at least would give you know Clay Helton and the rest of the assistant coaches an opportunity to address any concerns the players has and uh, potentially – you know, clarify things and get things to, you know, to the liking of the player. And then they don't think about transferring anymore. You're exactly right. And I'll tell you, the second most important person too, is your equipment guy. He spends a lot of time with the guys hanging out. The guy used to hang out with my equipment guy, talk all the time and try to con him out of a new, another new, you know, 
some new sweats or some new <laughs> shoes or, or socks, you know, or so on. And they became very good friends and have a lot of conversation. And your equipment guy is very important, too, as far as being informative, not squealing like you said, but letting you know when there's someone that's unhappy, or there's really someone that really has a major problem but doesn't know how to address it. So you want to find out, and they come in and tell you. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. we got a bunch of questions. Uh, so we'll kind of a variety of topics. We'll come back and answer those. Back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach, you ready for some questions? More than ready. All right, we got Don um, about Urban Meyer. He said, uh, Carol Folt must be happy. And Mike Bowen must be relieved that Urban Meyer is no longer on the market. As you guys know, I'll just, I'll just decide Urban Meyer was hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars as the head coach, so he's moved on to the NFL. Helton remains, quote, a made man, and SC fans need to be patient for 2024. Whoa, I don't know about that. Sounds like USC's main goal is to get protection for Keaton Slovis so he can win the Heisman. That would validate Clay Helton as a great quarterback coach. Uh, if Keaton Slovis was such a great quarterback and Heisman worthy, USC would be beating inferior opponents much easier than they have been. Does Keaton lack the leadership skills as a lead to a, a leader to a team uh, for a great season? Uh, he has been given great receivers, a system that promotes his skills, and head coach and offensive coordinator that totally support him. Keaton Slovis needs to step up and lead a team to a great season, not just merely fill up a stat sheet. Uh, is he Heisman worthy in your eyes? Helton keeps claiming USC plays for championships. Shouldn't Keaton Slovis be leading this team to impressive wins? Uh, Don is on that one, Coach. What do you think? Well, let's start with uh, Keaton here. It was a long question, so I don't want to leave out parts, but I'll try to address Keaton first of all. To me, Keaton, uh, they have addressed Keaton as a Heisman Trophy candidate this past summer before the season even started. They're pushing Keaton. They're putting a lot of uh, extra pressure on him. They made a captain out of him. I think a lot of times it's just too much for a young player. You, you expect him to lead. You expect him to help your team win. You want him to be a captain. You do all of these different things, and sometimes it's too much pressure for a young kid. And then also I've been really concerned, and I've told you this on every single not show, but every season about how you must protect your quarterback. 
And what's the strangest thing in the world to me, strange, is they push him for a Heisman Trophy. They talk about a Heisman Trophy and all of the different things they do at Keaton. And then he gets injured the last game of the year, and it's like he went on a six-month vacation. You haven't heard any type of release from anyone. I don't even know if the question what hadn't happened to Keith? did he transfer uh is he alive is he working out what's the deal i mean you know somebody ought to tell us if he was injured to what extent did he have surgery didn't he have surgery i don't know from someone who they talk about so much or have to not speaking about him at all is amazing to me now, you say, can he lead you to a national championship? And championships certainly he can. But he has to have the supporting uh, cast around him. He has to have the type of offense that would make him a better football player. Not, a, not that he's not a great passer, but have you seen a football team play this past weekend that can't run the football or be physical with the football? No. You don't win championships without being a complete team offensively defensively the whole package and right now usc can go out and recruit the top receivers and quarterbacks in the country but as a running back would you want to go there you just lost one of the top running backs and who knows if the other running backs are coming back but you become a blocking back and if you're a lineman are you going to learn how to run block at usc or become a complete football player at usc no so, you know, you have to look at what they're doing on the offensive side of the football to say how far and what awards can Keaton win. You've got to, you saw the great quarterbacks that played this year. You saw the, the surrounding cast was one where Harris was a running back at Alabama and they had a great running back at Clemson and they had a great running back at Ohio State. They had great running back at Notre Dame. They run the football. But for some reason, for some reason at USC, they've eliminated themselves from the elite group by trying to do it the easy way, by trying to do it a way that teams that were running this were teams that couldn't get the athletes that USC and Ohio State and these other teams can get. So as far as how good could Keaton get or be, I'm not sure. I think right now he's playing to save his life. Because they know where he is. They've lost JT Daniels. They've lost Keaton in the Holiday Bowl. They lost him in the Pac-12 championship game. And, you know, after a while, he's not a big physical type of guy. He's got a talent. But you got to assist him. And I don't think they're doing that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for that one, Don. And uh, let's see. Well, let's move on. This is from Elizabeth, Coach. It's a title coaching change. And she says she has a friend close to the administration at USC. And she told her that president Carol Fult from day one stated that unless there are major problems within the football program at USC, there will be no change in coaching for at least the next two to three years. They have major problems that needs her attention more than football right now. She's also said that Carol Fult is very aware of how important football is, not only to USC fans, but to the city of Los Angeles and to the Pac-12 and to college football. Uh, she also knows how much football pays for other sports at USC, and it's a huge recruiting tool for students that do not play sports to come to SC for academics and participate in school spirit on Saturdays in the fall. 
if the football team could somehow survive and actually do pretty good this year, then it's a win for USC and a savings that they need. During this year, if there is a change that has to be made and the program is still not responding, she and Mike Bone will make changes without hesitation, and I believe her. So buckle up and hope for the best. That's from Elizabeth. I I think I agree with that, Coach. I, I, I don't think the president wanted to make a coaching change if they didn't have to, especially when they had this huge buyout and everything. But what, what are your thoughts on what Elizabeth had to say? Well, I, <clears throat> I think Elizabeth has a right to her opinion. <clears throat> My opinion's a little bit different. I think the face of USC's uh, alumni and student body and morale of the university, when it has this low portion of the things that have gone on, would be something positive. And that would be a football program to rally around and brag about and be so proud of. And I think a lot of those other problems, they're not going to just go away. You're going to have to solve them. But you can fix this one. This one can be fixed easily, not by settling a suit or any of that problem, but by creating the type of program that most people want rather than some of the people saying, ah, Forget it. I'm not going to follow them anymore. You invested $300 million into a Coliseum renovation. That's a pretty good uh, size theater that you want to utilize and have a great movie or a great show in. And I think that if you have that type of arena, you certainly want to have a wonderful presentation to your alumni and fans who are going to pay these big bucks like the suites at five or ten million dollars, and so on. So I would think that's a a pretty big thing that you should address, not just say, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, everything's gonna be okay." I got other problems. I think you've got some problems when you consider the type of theater you built and the movie you're running in it. And I think that that's something that sometimes people don't understand that. So I think that with a tremendous athletic program, you certainly do assist your morale of your alumni, your student body, your faculty, everybody, by by having people cheer about something and be positive about something, not be negative about everything. So I disagree with Elizabeth, <clears throat> and I think that if Carol Folt knows what she's doing, she'd solve that right away. No, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Coach, that uh... – but I, but I feel like that's really what the office of the president is thinking right now is it's more about, we don't want to just don't make a change if you don't have to. Um, but really, obviously, I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot. They, they, if you want to fix the football program, it's not going in the the direction you want to be going right now. They should have made some sort of change, but I, I do feel like that's the way that the office of the president thinks about it right now. Um, so 2021 will be a super important year. In my opinion, uh, we'll see what kind of uh, you know year the Trojans have, and if uh, the administration, if it's not up to par, if they're willing to make changes, and if there will be support from the board of trustees and from the president, uh, if Mike Bone feels they should make a change, if there's going to be support there to make that change. Well, Ryan, let's, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, for this little uh, sinus thing I have. Tell me, what other what other activity? At USC draws 80,000 people. Do they go to a play, debate? What do they go to that they have 80,000 people, 60,000 people attend? Can you tell me that? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. 
Okay, <laughs> then, then what's a high priority? Yeah. I mean, is that hard to figure out? I mean, uh, I don't know how difficult that is to figure out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, what do you call it, Administration 101, eh? Figure out what keeps your students, like I said, find out what's happy in the conditioning room, or you better find out how to keep your alumni happy, especially the ones that paid 5 or $10 million for a suite and they're not going to it. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one, too. I didn't even think about that. They're like, you spent all that money? I guess you just probably just get an extra year tacked on. I'm not sure how that works, but interesting. Uh, well, we got a voicemail for you, Coach. Let me play it. Hello, hello, Ryan. This is Lee from the Bay Area. Ryan, how you ever, um, since we're in the offseason, how you ever thought about bringing uh, an old Trojan, uh, All-American back, Lynn Swan, and asking him the question of what was his thoughts going into the contract negotiation for Clay Hilton? Uh, all right. Thank you. Uh, thanks Lee for that. Just real quick coach. I'll get your thoughts on this too. We couldn't talk to Lynn Swan when he was the athletic director at USC. He's pretty much gone into hiding. I think we've seen, he tweeted something. Uh, I forget what it was about. Um, but you know, at, but it's really been, uh, he's been isolated and I don't think he would be willing to talk about any of that on the record. Love to, Lee. I think it'd be great to like kind of ask him, like, well, what you know, why, why did you think a fully guaranteed contract was was going to make sense? Then you know, four months before, or whatever, eight months before the team went five and seven. Um, but yeah, I, he really wasn't willing to talk unless he absolutely had to. But you could kind of corner him like at a game and get a couple questions in. But he never did like press conferences. He never would um, have us you know, in a room and talk about, at least Pat Hayden would do that. He would like invite you into a room and every once in a while we get to quote him on stuff. And it was like pulling teeth trying to talk to uh, Lynn Swan. So Lee, love it, but I just don't think uh, Lynn Swan would be down for that. Well, you know, I've had the opportunity of uh, being with Lynn and uh, doing a couple of events with him. And I never bring it up. I never discuss it because he has his reasons for that, and that's why I think I'm able to maintain my relationship with him. And, you know, everybody says Lynn Swan, Lynn Swan, Lynn Swan. Well, Lynn Swan was put in a position with this regarding this contract that this is probably the first contract or type of deal that he's ever done because he hadn't been an athletic director before and didn't know exactly the procedures probably and so on. I think he was assisted with that with some of the former administrators that were there and took their advice. But then when you take that type of contract up to your college president or to the regents or trustees, well, they're the ones that approve it. I mean, he what if he what if he had taken one up there for a billion a year? Are they going to approve that too? So I look at it as something that was done, that was done uh, in a matter of not understanding what he was doing, and then, but the people who were supposed to approve this, the business office, the trustees, the president, wouldn't you think they questioned this? They're the superiors, they're the ones that uh, make these big decisions. So I would not 
necessarily just blame Lynn Swan. I would say Lynn didn't have the experience to know what he was doing, but I'm sure someone assisted him in the athletic department. And also the college president at that time had done a few contracts, I would say. What did he think about it? Or what did the trustees think about it when it was sent up there? So let's sort of share the love a little bit here. To the people who are really responsible, it's not all Lynn Swan. No, I agree with you, Coach. It's um, it's one of those things where if they hired me to be like the head of surgery at Cedar sinai and you're like, you're doing a terrible job. It's like, I probably would be. But you'd have to look at who hired me. Like, why why did you put me in that position to be head of surgery at Cedar sinai when I don't know anything about it? You have to blame the people that brought in Lynn Swan to hire an inexperienced athletic director that didn't know anything about running an athletic department. So, yes, he made terrible decisions. He was not a good athletic director. But the the bigger problem is why was he athletic director in the first place? So I agree with you. The board of trustees, they have culpability in all of this. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you know, it's he was – he wanted to do the job, or it sounded like he wanted to do the job, even though he didn't have experience. They did. They hired a search firm, you know, to to figure out who should be the athletic director. What search firm would go? Let's go get a former All American player that has no experience. That seems like the best option. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. But that that's that, that's the way USC was running things before. You're hopeful they're not going to do that going forward. It seems like they're doing a better job for hiring practices. Um, yeah, but it seems as though it came from the same president too. Yeah, no, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Max Nikias had made some really weird decisions uh, in that stuff. But the, the, to be fair, though, he did like football. Like he remember, I remember he would talk to Dan Weber about football a lot. But really, what are you doing when you come and hire Lynn Swan as your athletic director? You or uh, Pat Hayden? Pat, yeah, same thing. I mean, same yeah. president. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's don't let's don't run away from that. Okay. Yeah. No, it's uh. It is true. Um, all right. We had a question from Gilbert. He said, what if Graham Harrell's offense doesn't do well in the running game again, and we start to lose running backs to the transfer portal, or we start to lose kids because they're not using them? Do you think USC would fire Graham Harrell? Absolutely. That means if Clay's still around. Because I keep saying that if Clay isn't careful, Clay, uh, Graham Harrell's going to get him fired. Because not having the complete football program that you need to play at a championship level. Okay? So, you know, you better get involved in this, uh, Clay, as far as if you know offense and you've been an offensive coordinator. You know, I would quit singing the praise of how great everything is on the offensive side of the football and start looking at it and... uh, saying I want this done and that done and when short yardage we want to be able to do this and do that and all the different things that will bring you a championship. Otherwise, Clay, you're not going to be around. You'll be a rich man, but you won't be coaching your sport of football at USC. Yeah. And I I think, Coach, the point you made earlier was um, you can only change assistance so so much, right? And you, you feel like you have to be kind of at the end of the rope as far as the assistant coaching churn, um, it the, the the accountability has to go to the head coach. Many of the fans will argue it should have been there years ago, and I don't necessarily disagree. But uh, to answer the question, Gilbert, I don't feel like if things aren't working next year that you can fire the offensive coordinator. 
you're going to be firing the head coach. I think that's where it's going to come from. So I don't think there's any more sacrificial lambs. There's no one else you can say, we're going to fix this now. Um, you fixed the offensive coordinator thing two years ago. If it didn't work, uh, I think that's going to be on you as the head coach. Although the offensive line coach and strength coach were both, you know, uh, sacrificial lambs too. But I feel like that as far as the offense goes, at this point, it's just you got to replace the head coach. I don't think you can replace a coordinator again. Uh, Mike from Montreal wrote in, Coach, about transfers. He says, hey, Ryan, love the podcast. You, Coach Hyde, Keeley, and even Shotgun continue to do a great job. My understanding is that transfers in count against an incoming class's total. If that's correct, please advise. And the rest of my question becomes irrelevant. Uh, if Incorrect, he says, please advise. If that's correct. Why is this the case as uh, these athletes have already been counted when they enrolled at their original university? I believe they should only count against the 85 scholarships. Uh, thanks in effect. Uh, I, I'm sorry. They, in effect, offset any transfers out. That's Mike in Montreal. And, hey, Mike, I think it's a really good point. As transfers are up, what are colleges doing? They are leaving some high school recruits off their signing lists and they're not signing as many so they can bring transfers in. The reason being is they do count. They are initial counters. Um, I feel like they need to modify the rules where if you have a bunch of guys transferring out, you can replace them with transfers in or something to that effect. Or, you know, if you lose three guys out, you can bring a new guy in because the problem is if you sign a full recruiting class of 25 players, and then a bunch of guys transfer out that are seniors or juniors. Now you can't replace them with transfers in because you've already signed the 25 guys. And then you can, you know, sign some guys early, whatever, stuff like that. But for the most part, you can't, it's not like you you can lose guys without being, having the ability to replace them. So I would like to see an updated NCAA rule, but Mike, as you understand it right now, you transfer in your initial counter to that recruiting class. But any thoughts on that coach? Well, uh, I can see that. Uh, I look at it this way. There's more colleges or universities taking transfer players, such as, you know, they you have on your site a couple of tackles they're looking at uh, from different schools uh, out there. They can go to your site to see who they are. I don't have, want to go through that. But they're guys that have... Uh, not started recently or they're guys that have set out or they're guys that, you know, why would you take a person at USC that couldn't play somewhere else? I don't know. Uh, that's on me. And I think where the, the, uh, where the bank used to be for colleges was in the community college programs. And in the state of California, there's somewhere about 80 to 90 college programs, community college programs, they didn't play football. They, they, they didn't play any, and I think that's the level of players that got hurt the most. The community college player that went to community college because of academic reasons of not having the grades or a little bit thinner than what he should be that are great players. Great players, and they this year weren't recruited. Yeah. So I think that when universities have to go out now and take transfer players. You know, I'm not quite sure what the attitude is, is why someone leaves. Now they've had success with some players, Richmond and other players that came in as far as 
transfers, but I've I found when I was coaching that whenever I took a transfer athlete, he had to sit out then at that time. There was a reason why the other coach let him go or called me and asked me about it. You want a player or so on. So you got to be very, very careful on that because you have other players that have been playing that position that all of a sudden you say, hey, coach, I came here and you said a year from now I'd be in that position would be my shot, and now you're bringing in someone but you don't think I'm not good enough for what? And now all of a sudden you're creating another attitude problem among your offensive line or left tackle or whatever you're looking for that supposedly you don't have a player good enough to play that position. So you've got to be very, very careful when you do this, when you do this type of taking these transfers. For sure, Coach. And I think the the, the fear is obviously damaged goods. There's going to be players that just – didn't get along with coaches, didn't work hard, whatever it is. They had academic problems. There's a there's good there's a lot of there's a lot of guys in the transfer portal and I think there's a lot of damaged goods. But we've also seen at a high level the ability to, you know, get guys that just needed a, a different situation. I think Russell Wilson was one of the first like graduate transfers. Um, you know, good career at North Carolina State, goes to Wisconsin ends up being a third round pick and you know now he's a Super Bowl champion. We we've saw most of the guys in the playoffs were transfer quarterbacks, right? I mean, you see like a JT Daniels uh it took a little while to to get rolling there, but it seems like that that's working. I you remember Stevie Tuikolavatu Utah was rotating their defensive linemen in um and he ends up coming to USC like sleeping in his car for a while before they could transfer in and uh once he transfers in he was an absolute stud for the Trojans. So there's definitely you got to find the diamonds in the rough though because there's going there's so many players in the portal and and most of them aren't going to work out. But in like USC's case, do they need another running back? Probably. Yeah. I mean, uh you know, they they got a defensive tackle. They would love to find a a plug and play left tackle. They just didn't have a you know, a plan to to replace uh Austin Jackson until they moved um you know, AVT over. And you hope one of the young guys on the, the roster can fill that role, but we just haven't seen it yet, you know, and they weren't really blowing teams out where you could see someone, the heir apparent uh, at left tackle. So they're going to try to find some, some of the right fits coach, I think. Uh, but you're right. You have to be wary of, you know, why is that player in the transfer portal to begin with? Sometimes you have a, a great reason. Other times it's just things didn't work out and, and the, the, the coach, who the, the player's transferring out is happy that the player is gone. You know, you don't want to bring a guy like that in most likely and disrupt your chemistry. So I think you're right. Cause you just have to be super careful uh, finding the guys, but whoever you find they right now, they do count as an initial counter. So it's like they're in the recruiting class. Yep. You're right. Uh, Ryan and the quarterbacks that have transferred around have really made great moves and uh, done well, but you got to be careful, especially, uh, you know, uh, when someone transfers in, normally as a quarterback, someone leaves. <laughs> it always happens, but uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, you, uh, quarterbacks don't like to be backups, okay? When they have a player there that's uh, ahead of them, so you see quarterbacks wanting to always find a better place. So, uh, and you're right about there's always someone that comes in and is the exception, and you've got to be very uh, smart at what you do, and you can't make a program over it. That's all. You just got to be able to 
get the correct players and bring them in and treat them right and develop them and and uh, go from there. But, you know, there's the pluses and minuses to everything. But sometimes you're at a point where you have no no choice. If I don't get some players, I'm going to get fired, okay? And you'll see schools that take 10 junior college players. Why? They need immediate help. Otherwise, I'm not going to be around here in a year. So, you know, there's different reasons why you do certain things. Yeah. Um, all right. We got a question. This is, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. It's Asai, uh, E-S-A-I. So my apologies for butchering your name. But about USC jerseys, he says, I was curious to know your thoughts. If you think USC will put players' names on the jerseys in the upcoming years with the name, image, and likeness coming to college football. Personally, I love having my number nine jersey for Juju Smith-Schuster, but it could also be for Marquise Lee. Also, I'd like to see the throwback USC jerseys worn in season. Cal does a lighter blue and yellow throwbacks, and they look awesome. Great work. Love the podcast. Uh, Asai, I'm sorry, not pronouncing the name right, but what do you think about the jerseys, Coach? Well, the jerseys, first of all, I've never been in favor of the name on the jersey. I've told you that, and I mentioned it on my show, and a friend of mine, Chuck Hayes, the other day told me, he says he was talking to Sam Cunningham, and Sam says, hey, if you do a good enough job on the field, someone will go to the program and look up at who you are. They can't read your name from the stadium size anyway. They can see it on TV, but they can't see it in the stadium. And I sort of believe in that tradition as far as we're a team. We're not individuals. And I think a, a name on the back of the jersey sort of indicates individuals somewhat. Not always, but that's just my philosophy. There's a lot of great programs that have the names of the jersey players on the back of the jersey. Randall Cunningham came to me when we were at UNLV, and he said, Coach, I think we ought to put our names on the back of the jerseys. And it's pretty strong player as far as leadership and as far as ability. And I told him, Randall, we're not going to do that because uh, uh, it's just not going to fit what we do here. We're all team. In fact, the the jersey we wore underneath, I told you this before, underneath we wore, wore a shirt. All, everybody wears the same shirt. But it had team and three or four inch letters and it had me in a one inch letter. And that's what you wore every single day, your shimble shirt, they call it underneath. So it doesn't hang out down below. And, uh, uh, that's just the way it was. But then there's other coaches that think it's great and that's fine with there. That's just a philosophy, but there's certain schools that, uh, have that tradition. And as far as the old Jersey, old uniform coming back, I've always loved that uniform that John McKay and those guys wore. Yeah, I think I think it's Asai. I think that's how you say it. But so my apologies. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're gonna put names on the jerseys. And I, I agree with coach. I don't I, I don't think that's a USC thing. You keep them off. Uh, but to, I don't think name image and likeness is going to impact that. But um, we'll see. We don't know how it's going to impact it. Uh, we have one last thing from Steve. Uh, he gave us some stats from the national championship game, Ohio State and Alabama. Uh, he didn't really put a lot of detail in there. He just says, Alabama passed the ball too much. USC discussion. USC passes the ball too much. I'm not sh- sure the point he's trying to make, but in the Alabama had 621 total yards in that game. Um, they had 464 passing yards uh, in the game and 157 rushing yards. So they, they still ran the ball 38 times in the game, uh, averaging 4.1 yards per rush. 
and they completely controlled the time of possession. It was almost uh, 38 minutes, uh, 37 and a half minutes or so in that one. So I, I think when you're looking, Steve, if you're going to say, what did Alabama, what did Alabama do? Did they, are they throwing the ball too much? They can run the football. I mean, they had a potential Heisman candidate in uh, Najee Harris, but they can throw the football as well. So I think that's a team that showed the toughness if they needed to pick up, if you said, Hey, run the ball three times, pick up a first down, Alabama would do that. So I'm not going to knock them for throwing the ball as much as they did. Um, I mean, it was only 45 passes. Uh, they, they, they averaged 10 over 10 yards per pass, not per completion, but per pass. So every time they drop back to throw the ball, they picked up 10 yards even if it was incomplete. So, yeah, I, I don't think you can knock what Alabama was doing, but get your thoughts on that, Coach. No, because that went along with the running game and the play-action pass. They had to respect both because they could do both. And uh, it's very difficult to stop both. And if you saw those plays, they were beautiful passes. They right on uh, mismatches, which were unbelievable. It wasn't like just a passing game, the mismatches with Smith and the coverage they were playing, and man, it was uh, like stealing, stealing the passes they completed. It really was, and uh, and uh, I think they had a, Steve Sarkeesian had a tremendous game plan, and it was impossible to stop at all, so they took advantage of what you gave them, and that's what we're saying all the time. You do this, I do that, and that's one thing that USC doesn't do, because they don't have the capability of doing that. And that's what's holding them back. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. Um, these off-season programs, they still end up going long, which we don't even, you know. We get a lot of the questions, which we love. We love getting the questions from everybody. But there's always stuff to talk about. So no matter what, no matter what's going on, we always find something. But, Coach, I appreciate you coming on again. And uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. And thank you. And for everybody out there, uh, make sure you get your shot lined up. Get ready to take your vaccine. I'm 110 years old, and they haven't even called me yet. So <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but I'll be standing in line whenever I hear. Okay, Ryan? Nice. And everybody else out there, be safe, okay? All right, sounds good, Coach. I think they're going only 120 years old and over right now. You're up next. You're in the next phase. Okay. So. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be waiting for the call. All right. Well, that's Coach. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.ihspire, which spells inspire2022.org. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. You can
can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.